This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Can President Biden be a true Catholic when his actions betray the faith? President Biden is the epitome of a breed that is sometimes called the cafeteria Catholic. He claims belief and frequently attends Holy Mass. Yet at the same time, his actions and political positions fly in the face of Catholic teaching. That is most apparent in his promotion of procured abortion, but it does not stop there. President Biden's vision is thoroughly modernist. It is in line with the so-called spirit of Vatican II. At the same time, it has little in common with the faith of his working-class forebearers, of whom he claims to be so proud. This contradiction was apparent in the coverage of the meeting between President Biden and Pope Francis. Mr. Luis Sergio Salomeo considers this paradox in his essay, Did Pope Francis tell President Biden to continue receiving Holy Communion? Coming out of a lengthy interview with the Pope on October 29th, President Biden told reporters that the pontiff had encouraged him to continue receiving Holy Communion. Quote, We just talked about the fact that he was happy I was a good Catholic, unquote. Adding that the Pope had told him to, quote, keep receiving communion, unquote. Did the President tell the truth? Did Pope Francis indeed urge him to continue receiving Holy Communion? It seems likely that Pope Francis indeed made the statement. Less than a month ago, in confusing statements about the Holy Eucharist, he sent an indirect message to the U.S. bishops opposed to allowing pro-abortion politicians to receive Holy Communion. Quote, We've had enough excommunications. Please do not excommunicate any more. Unquote. Furthermore, when questioned if Pope Francis had said what was attributed to him, Matteo Bruni, the director of the Vatican Press Office, declined to confirm or deny, claiming that it had been, quote, a private conversation, unquote. Such silence is not a licit option. Given the challenge posed by President Biden's clear statement and the widespread confusion on this fundamental point of Catholic doctrine, it behooved the pontiff or his assistants to straighten the record, affirm what is right, and denounce what is wrong in this regard. The tragedy is that the Holy See's silence signals agreement. The old Latin legal maxim runs, Quitaset consentire videtur. He who remains silent is understood to consent. Moreover, in an era that demands clarity, the Pope's silence fits into a deliberate strategy of omission. For example, the day before he received President Biden, Pope Francis received two young Italian communists of the Communist Refoundation Party. The Italian daily La Repubblica reported that one of the two, Andrea Ferroni, stated that when they showed the Pope a picture of Antonio Gramsci, founder of the Italian Communist Party, the sovereign pontiff exclaimed, quote, You are true communists. Congratulations. Keep it up. Unquote. Did the Pope say this? Who knows? For years, however, he has received atheists, communists, pro-abortion, or pro-sodomy activists. 
Afterward, they claim he said this or that, and the Holy See does not confirm or deny the veracity of the statements attributed to him. Even if Pope Francis did not say the words that President Biden attributed to him, the pictures of the meeting, as broadcast by the Associated Press, show the Pope welcoming him heartily, laughing, and affectionately holding the President's hands with both hands. The body language is entirely consistent with the attributed statement. President Biden also demonstrated through acts and gestures that he had the sovereign pontiff's full support on receiving Holy Communion. The day after his audience with Pope Francis, and while still in Rome for the G20 meetings, the Associated Press reported that the President received Holy Communion at a Mass at St. Patrick's Church in Rome, a church popular with Americans. Here, too, the presidential action elicited no statement of rebuke from the Holy See. Once again, the papal silence denotes agreement. The lack of disciplinary action implies that the Pope does not want that pro-abortion politicians be denied Holy Communion. Looking back over President Biden's long political career, one sees that his position on procured abortion evolved with time. From weak opposition, he moved to full-throated support. In 2020, he ran for president with a radically pro-abortion agenda. Once elected, he took a series of pro-abortion measures, culminating in a full rupture with the Catholic position that life begins at conception. Quote, I have been, continue to be, a strong supporter of Roe v. Wade. I respect those who believe life begins in the moment of conception. I respect that. I don't agree. Unquote. It is not only procured abortion, however. President Biden also promotes the homosexual revolution. In 2016, as U.S. Vice President, he officiated at a so-called wedding between two male White House workers. On that occasion, he tweeted, quote, Proud to marry Brian and Joe at my house. Couldn't be happier. Two longtime White House staffers. Two great guys, unquote. This is the good Catholic to whom Pope Francis is said to have encouraged to continue receiving Holy Communion. Pope Francis's words, actions, and omissions suggest that the sins of actively and publicly supporting the homosexual and abortion movements are unimportant, and that these sins do not prevent them from receiving Holy Communion. St. Paul teaches otherwise. The Apostle to the Gentiles is clear on the gravity of receiving Holy Communion in the state of mortal sin. Quote, Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will be behaving unworthily toward the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone is to recollect himself before eating this bread and drinking this cup, because a person who eats and drinks without recognizing the body is eating and drinking his own condemnation. Unquote. See 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 29. Amid the storm assailing Holy Mother Church, the mystical body of Christ, let us not lose confidence. Let us follow St. Bernard of Clairvaux and turn to Mary Most Holy. 
More than eight centuries ago, St. Bernard pointed to Mary and exhorted us never to lose heart. Quote, If squalls of temptation arise, or thou fall upon the rocks of tribulation, look to the star, call upon Mary. Following her, thou strayest not. Invoking her, thou despairest not. Thinking of her, thou wanderest not. Upheld by her, thou fallest not. Guided by her, thou growest not weary. Favored by her, thou reachest the goal. Yes, let us look to Mary, the star that guides us and keeps us firm and faithful to the perennial teachings of the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church. The following item, Prolet's Repeat the Catholic Position, appeared as a sidebar to Mr. Solomeo's essay. On the eve of President Biden's meeting with the Pope, Raymond Cardinal Burke, former prefect of the Holy See's Supreme Tribunal of the Apostolic Signatura, published an open letter to the faithful, commenting on Holy Communion and its desecration. He recalled Canon 915 of the Code of Canon Law, which forbids giving Holy Communion to excommunicated persons or those notoriously in public sin. Quote, Those who have been excommunicated or interdicted after the imposition or declaration of the penalty and others obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. Unquote. This is no mere disciplinary prohibition, which a pope can modify. It is about the sanctity of this sacrament and St. Paul's warning in the first epistle to the Corinthians. When the public sin concerns procured abortion, the cardinal rightly comments that it is, quote, a matter of life and death for the unborn and of eternal salvation for the Catholic politicians involved, unquote. Cardinal Burke recalls how, as the ordinary in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and St. Louis, Missouri, he warned pro-abortion politicians not to receive Holy Communion in his diocese. He also mentions Cardinal Ratzinger's memo to the U.S. bishops on the matter, and which then-Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, today defrocked and reduced to the lay state, refused to transmit. In that memorandum, the then-prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith urged the bishops to remain faithful to Catholic doctrine by preventing abortionist politicians from receiving communion. After reminding that abortion and euthanasia are inherently evil, Cardinal Ratzinger specified, quote, "...regarding the grave sin of abortion or euthanasia, when a person's formal cooperation becomes manifest," understood in the case of a Catholic politician as his consistently campaigning and voting for permissive abortion and euthanasia laws, his pastor should meet with him, instructing him about the church's teaching, informing him that he is not to present himself for Holy Communion until he brings to an end the objective situation of sin and warning him that he will otherwise be denied the Eucharist. Unquote. Several American bishops commented on Biden's statements that Pope Francis encouraged him to continue to receive Holy Communion. 
among them. Bishop Thomas Tobin of Providence, Rhode Island, tweeted, quote, I fear that the church has lost its prophetic voice. Where are the John the Baptists who will confront the Herods of our day? Unquote. Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, was another. He tweeted, quote, I implore all to offer prayers of repentance, reparation, and atonement for all the blasphemies against Jesus Christ, especially the reception of his body and blood with no thought of confessing mortal sin. The desecration of his sacred body and blood is an abomination. Unquote. A cornerstone of Catholic doctrine is the importance of the family, Yet here again, President Biden is at a variance with the church. Many items in his American Families Plan and his Build Back Better agenda substitute the state for the functional family. Such attempts are nothing new. Starting with the French Revolution, we see that one of the first steps of any tyranny is to try to substitute allegiance to country for the guidance of a loving family. Mr. John Horvat explains the president's doomed attempt to inject government into our homes in his essay, the family is the only thing missing in Biden's American Families Plan. The latest liberal plan to save the nation is the administration's American Families Plan. It is heralded as a lifesaver for struggling families. Finally, Americans can supposedly enjoy the long-overdue benefits similar to those enjoyed by citizens benefiting from Europe's extensive social safety net. The plan's wish list is impressive. There is affordable child care for everyone. Ad-free preschool for all three- and four-year-olds. Paid leave for new parents. Extended tax credits. Health benefits. And two years of free community college. There is something for everyone in this plan. What is there not to like in this program that only the most hardened Scrooge can hate? The plan's $1.6 trillion price tag is a bit hefty. However, President Biden claims that it can be recouped with higher taxes on corporations and wealthier individuals. The rich will be made to pay because they are rich. Moreover, the government is big and has unlimited possibilities for expanding its low-interest debt. With such deep-pocketed resources, liberals argue, there is no limit to what can be done to improve the lives of millions of American families. They claim it matters little if the government gets bigger, as long as American families benefit. Think of it as an investment in the future, and the plan will not appear so bad. However, the American Families Plan has two major defects. The first is that it frames the debate in economic terms. The left holds the absurd belief that any problem can be resolved if enough money is spent. Indeed, the debate is all about money, or more precisely, about free money and other people's money. The discussion is how to transfer more money from the taxpayers' pockets to the government's coffers. Opponents to the plan have responded in kind. They rightly notice the grave injustice in taxing the rich to foot the bill for the left's wish list. Tax hikes can only go so far before they weigh down the economy. 
Senator Tim Scott, Republican, South Carolina, criticized the plan, saying that it will initiate, quote, the biggest job-killing tax hikes in a generation, unquote. The problem with limiting the discussion to economic consideration is that it neglects the most important moral arguments against the plan. It ignores the plan's most vulnerable flank. Money will not solve the moral problems that so ail today's families. Thus, the second and most important defect of the American Families Plan is its refusal to deal with the notion of what the family is. The Biden administration's programs typically exclude what is highlighted in their titles. Most of his stimulus plan was not about stimulus. The infrastructure scheme has very little infrastructure spending in it. Likewise, this American Families Plan has next to nothing in it for the family. The family has gone missing in Biden's plan. He adopts the modern individualist concepts of the family as defined by Kant, who called it a complex of purposeful and legal relations. Today's liberals also include the postmodern notions of a family being whatever individuals declare it to be. It assumes no permanent commitment. Any group of individuals might qualify. Aristotle defined the family as the original natural community for the creation and maintenance of life. St. Thomas Aquinas called it the first and smallest social union. Leo XIII said that it is a small but real society through which the individual enters society. It stands between the individual and the state. The family presupposes a stable, fruitful marriage and the development and education of offspring to carry forward society for future generations. Thus, the family has an end, and any plan that works against this end jeopardizes its survival. Any definition outside this purpose is not a family, but merely a group of individuals. The Biden plan works against the nature and purpose of the family. To start with, judging from the administration's LGBTQ plus agenda, family for it is anything a person wants it to be. The plan offers affordable child care and universal preschool. However, such programs presuppose babies. The administration is doing everything possible to expand the abortion agenda through government policy. Contrary to his professed Catholic faith, the president is actively working against the family by denying the abundant births that should come from marriage. His program would be better labeled as one to benefit infant survivors and facilitate their care away from home. A family plan should be about doing something about birth rates. The family is in crisis because of America's demographic meltdown caused by the failure of families to replace the country's population. However, official government policy embraces the contraceptive mentality that destroys families. Family presupposes a father and a mother that provide the best possible conditions for a child's solid physical and spiritual development. However, 
There is nothing in these programs that encourages more healthy families. There is nothing that helps them defend themselves against the dangers of contraception, abortion, cohabitation, and divorce. While child care might be needed in some cases, nothing can replace the parent in the home that bonds with children. The universal placing of infants and children in daycare centers should not be a desired goal. While traditional families might benefit from some parts of the Biden plan, it does not address the essential issue of what makes up a family and how the stable family is the only way for individuals to get ahead. Since its focus is only economic, the American Families Plan appears to target the broken family. The primary cause of poverty is not the lack of training or education, but the broken families that fail to fulfill their responsibilities. Thus, government programs do not address single parenthood, absent fathers, and rampant promiscuity that destroy families everywhere. Tragically, the government often facilitates their perpetuation. Instead of aiding the family, the government absorbs it into its care. Thus, the Biden program is self-defeating. The best possible way to help the family is to form healthy families. The healthier the family, the less need for government intervention. The family is an essential social unit, but it is also an economic powerhouse that creates and distributes wealth beyond anything that the government can provide. The church is a much better instrument for shaping healthy families than the state. The church can provide moral advice, encourage fidelity, and instill virtuous habits. All this can be done at little cost, yet great benefit to society. Instead of browbeating Catholic nuns into paying for contraception, a good family policy would focus on developing a moral climate for families to flourish. What is ailing the American family is not money for the family. Without the correct notion of the family, no amount of money will fix American families. What is needed is moral direction. And there is none in the Biden plan. In modern America, the left uses radical ideas of racial identity to drive a wedge into the family. One of the lessons of critical race theory is that all white people are racist oppressors. The only way to atone for these so-called sins is to become an ally of such movements as Black Lives Matter. The young are far more vulnerable to the lies of critical race theory than their more experienced elders. Yet when parents try to explain their resistance to this soul-destroying ideology, their children often rebel. It is difficult to say definitely if President Biden believes in critical race theory, or if he is an unknowing mouthpiece of radicals within his party. Either way, he is actively promoting this Marxist agenda. Mr. Edwin Benson considers this process in his essay, The President Jumps into the Critical Race Theory Battle. The conflict over teaching critical race theory, CRT, in America's schools, both public and parochial, is rising. At the heart of this clash are three versions of the history of racism in the United States. 
David G. Bonagur nicely expresses the Catholic vision in a recent article in The Catholic Thing. He lists four sharp weapons regarding the Church's treatment of the races. First, we are all made, no matter how we look, in the image and likeness of God. See Genesis chapter 1. The following two chapters of Genesis discuss man's common physical nature. We all come from the same earth and are destined to return to it. He finds the third weapon in our Lord's parable of the Good Samaritan. Serving our neighbor means serving those of other races. St. Paul provides the fourth in chapter 12 of the first letter to the Corinthians, where he compares the church to the body of Christ. And if one man suffer anything, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member glory, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members of member. Mr. Bonagura concludes beautifully, quote, In other words, the Church offers a vision of unity across races and cultures that terminates in eternal union with God, unquote. The conventional American view is what most students, at least until recently, learned in their history classes. It falls far short of the Catholic vision. People of goodwill, it argues, can achieve these goals through civic virtue. The specifics of religion are vague and ambiguous. However, the American vision does contain certain truths, especially regarding equal dignity for all people, that allows it to coexist with the Catholic ideal. This view proposed an ongoing progress of working together to better society and respect others. Each successive generation is expected to carry this narrative forward. It stresses the shared fruits of cooperation and prosperity. The third view, that of critical race theory, actively repudiates Catholic teaching and American ideals. This view traces its roots to the social revolution of the 60s. CRT argues that America was founded on racism. In its view, the founders, all white men, deliberately set up social and legal systems designed to oppress all who were not white and male. Any sense of movement toward a just society is an illusion created by oppressors to keep everyone docile and content. Social harmony is the last thing that the proponents of CRT desire. Their visions, goals, and desires center around division. They believe a better world can be achieved through their strange and ill-defined combination of Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud. Ironically, the man at the center of the battle is President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. The irony exists on several levels. He is a 78-year-old white man who expresses pride in his working-class roots. Yet his 2020 campaign and policies as president abandon men like the father for whom he expresses such admiration. Having entered the Senate in 1973, he is a man of the established order, 
Yet now, as its chief, he allies himself with those who want to demolish it. For decades, he was a go-along-get-along guy in the U.S. Senate, which seated its first black senator in 1870, Senator Hiram Rhodes Revels, Republican of Mississippi. The crowning irony is that he claims to be a devout Catholic while he works to overturn what little remains of Catholic order in society. On the first day of his presidency, President Biden signed Executive Order 13985. Its goal is encased in a rather ponderous title, Advancing Racial Equity and Support for Underserved Communities Through the Federal Government. Quote, Equal opportunity is the bedrock of American democracy, and diversity is one of our country's greatest strengths. But for too many, the American dream remains out of reach. Entrenched disparities in our laws and public policies, and in our public and private institutions, have often denied that equal opportunity to individuals and communities. It is therefore the policy of my administration that the federal government should pursue a comprehensive approach to advancing equity for all, including people of color and others who have been historically underserved, marginalized, and adversely affected by persistent poverty and inequality, affirmatively advancing equity, civil rights, racial justice, and equal opportunity is the responsibility of the whole of our government. Unquote. Exactly who are those people of color and others? The list in Section 2 is familiar. Black, Latino, and indigenous and Native American persons, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, and other persons of color, members of religious minorities, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, LGBTQ plus persons, persons with disabilities, persons who live in rural areas, and persons otherwise adversely affected by persistent poverty or inequality. Unquote. Only three months later, the Educrats churned out a proposed rule titled Proposed Priorities, American History and Civics Education. Defenders might argue that the words critical race theory appear nowhere in the rule's text. They are correct, since the phrase has become a lightning rod that attracts the attention of political opponents. However, it cites, quote, the New York Times landmark 1619 project and the work of scholar Ibram X. Kendi, unquote. The 1619 project exudes CRT, and Dr. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, popularizes it. Thus, the order's list of priorities is written in the language of CRT that is so familiar to those who fight against it. A. Take into account systemic marginalization, biases, inequities, and discriminatory policy and practice in American history. B. Incorporate racially, ethnically, culturally, and linguistically diverse perspectives and perspectives on the experience of individuals with disabilities. C. Encourage students to critically analyze the diverse perspectives of historical and contemporary media and its impacts. D. 
support the creation of learning environments that validate and reflect the diversity, identities, and experiences of all students, and e. contribute to inclusive, supportive, and identity-safe learning environments. One of Satan's great deceptions is that good can compromise with evil. Critical race theory is a direct attack on both the Catholic vision of society and that set of civic virtues loosely known as American. To preserve whatever shreds of Western Catholic culture remain, responsible Americans must reject critical race theory unequivocally, whenever and however it appears. This concludes, Can President Biden be a true Catholic when his actions betray the faith? Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. Mr. Salomeo's essay has extensive footnotes. Links to the original articles are provided in the show notes for the convenience of listeners who wish to examine his sources of information. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the servers through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would like to recommend the book which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website www.returntoorder.org or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.